I don't know if you keep up with the news. I, I, try, I try to keep up the best I can. It's really difficult because there's just so much content. Just thousands of articles written every single day. It's hard to keep up. But every now and then, uh, an article, a headline will catch my eye and just suck me right in. I'm going to give you guys one of my very favorite all-time headlines here. I'm not sure how this qualifies as news, but it caught my attention. Headline, dog chews off Michigan man's toe, comma, saves his life. Now, how do you not click into that? Uh, Subheadline is even better. Quote, a Michigan man credited his dog with saving his life by chewing off his diseased big toe as he lay passed out in a drunken stupor. It's too crazy to make up, right? So the man had undiagnosed diabetes and had not the dog chewed on his toe and sent him to the hospital, the doctor said he would have gone into sepsis and died. And so at the end of the article, the man, I guess he was joking, he said, you know, I really shouldn't have had to pay the, the copay because the dog did most of the doctor's work for him. Um, it's just absolutely crazy, right? Uh, now, that's a, I find that story hilarious. That's, that's like 10 years ago, that story. Just, I never, I've never forgotten it. I never will. Um, but it's really actually a, a serious thing. I mean, you think about this man is on the verge of disaster. He's on the brink of death until someone, in this case his dog, uh, intuitively rescues him. Now, chances are uh, you actually have a story somewhat like this, minus the toe-eating dog probably, but don't you have a time in your life where you were headed toward some kind of disaster, you were headed toward a bad life decision, you were dating the wrong person, you were, you were going down a path you shouldn't have been going, only to have somebody raise up a red flag and bring you back. I hope that that's happened to you. If it hasn't, you've probably done that for somebody else. We all need people like this in our lives, that if we're headed the wrong direction, if we're living in an unwise way, or if we're acting in a way that is self-destructive or harmful to others, that somebody would come along and turn us back, right? And we especially need that right here in the church. That's not just true for life in general. It's especially true in the church. We're closing out the book of James today. And of all the things that James could have concluded his, his letter with, this is the topic he chooses. That there are people who will wander from the truth of Christ, and therefore we need others to do everything in their power to bring them back in. Uh, and that seems maybe strange that James would have ended his letter this way. There's so many wonderful, lofty scriptures in James. Why would he end like this? But you know, it's, it's really very pastoral. James's concern is for the church. We see that all throughout his book. His concern is for the church, not just the individual Christians who make up the church, but for the church as a whole. And his desire, if you've walked with us through this great book, his desire is to see the church faithfully endure to the end. He wants them to follow through and live out their faith all the way to the end. That means for James, that means enduring suffering. We've seen a lot of that. Enduring persecution, poverty, sickness, strife, conflict, whatever it takes. James wants us to persevere as Christians. And here's the truth. That's not easy. James knows it's not easy. Sometimes we, I might be guilty of this, I hope not, but sometimes we pass off 
really significant spiritual things like they're no big deal, like we ought to just be able to go out and do it. But no, walking after Jesus Christ as his disciple is difficult. Jesus said, you're going to have to deny yourself to follow me. You're going to lose your life to find it in me. That's not meant to be easy. And so James knows that perseverance in the faith is difficult. That's why he calls us to do it together. This is not purely an individual exercise. It's meant to be something we share as a faith community. Okay? So this is a pastoral closing to his letter. And the main idea is this. I'm going to give it to you up front as we walk through it. One of the reasons that God has given us the church is that we might help each other in walking with Christ. So much so, in our, especially in our culture, we're very individualistic Americans. We tend to take every spiritual command and personalize it and nothing beyond that. But the scripture, when the scripture speaks to us, it's almost always speaking to us in the plural, not to the individual. It's speaking to the church. And we're, y'all, if, 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 uh, if God meant for us to be competitors, that all, we're all spiritually angling for the finish line, and whoever gets there first is the winner, right? Then the Bible would have been written that way, right? If you're not first, you're last, right? So get to so win. That's not how the Bible is written. The Bible is written to a faith community, to a family, the household of God, and we're meant to cross the finish line as one together. Back in my, in my sports days, we would, we would run um, laps, and the coach would say, you're only as fast as your slowest man. The idea being, the winner, the individual winner, gets no credit for winning. The team as a whole has to finish. And so whoever's last, that's the time that counts. So instead of the fastest guys going out front, the fastest guys would stay behind to push the slower guys. That was me, right? To push us into the finish line because we were a cohesive unit. We were a team. And James wants us to see the church that way. We're meant to help each other endure because we're one. And so this is a short scripture today, but it's a powerful one. Look with me at James 5 again, just verses 19 and 20 right there at the end. He says, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I think we notice right up front, James is talking to Christians about Christians. If any among you, he's talking about people who make up the church, people who profess Christ. If anyone among you strays from the truth. Let's acknowledge up front that this happens, right? None of us are perfect. A lot of us deal with with many temptations and struggles, and people do stray from the truth. It does happen. If it hasn't happened to you personally, it almost certainly has happened to somebody that you care about. So what does it mean when, when James says if someone strays or wanders from the truth? What, what, is exa- what, what, what does that look like? Uh, the thing is, for us, it's almost always a combination of belief and behavior. To stray from the truth is, a, is an issue of belief and also behavior, and, and rarely do those things separate. They're almost always there together. So when, when James is talking about straying from right belief in God, he's, he's talking about straying from the gospel of Jesus, from the truth of the scripture. There's a place in 2 Timothy 2 where Paul is warning Timothy 
about a false teaching that is spreading. Paul says it's spreading like gangrene. Paul even calls out the two men who were specifically responsible for spreading that false teaching so that Timothy would know who to look out for. But Paul Paul gives the indication that those two guys, far gone as they were, that at least at one point they were faithful. Because Paul says, quote, they have gone astray from the truth. He uses the exact same phrase that James does. These two men who were far away now, but at one point perhaps they weren't, they've gone astray. Now sometimes that, a person who goes astray from God, that could be malicious and purposeful. Most often I found that it's not. It's not malicious. It's not, a person doesn't wake up determining to do it. Most people do exactly what James says. They wander. They go astray. Uh, Probably because they're not reading their Bible. That's usually a telltale sign, right? They're not engaged with the truth on a regular basis, so they drift away from it. Most of the time, they lose engagement with the church, with the people of God. They believe in Jesus, but they allow perhaps other beliefs or desires to kind of seep their way in, and it all ends up in the same pot, and Jesus gets diluted in the process, But a person can stray further and further from the truth, from right belief. It happens all the time. It may be happening in your life right now. But almost always we see it accompanied with with not just belief, but with behavior too. If a person strays from the truth of belief, their behavior typically follows. Um, This is more commonly what we see, because we can see behavior more than we can see belief. but y'all, there's, there are Christians, and, and again, you, you know some perhaps now, that for a time they were doing well, they were really doing well, but then their behavior started to drift. They, they began to engage in sinful things. A lot of times this is something from my own past, a temptation that I thought I had left behind, something that I thought I'd overcome, but it continues to haunt me, it continues to... Uh, to, to be a source of deception, and it's very easy for me, for anyone, to slip back into it. It could be a new temptation that takes root. But Jesus, y'all, Jesus spoke about people who hear the word, they hear the gospel, and there are people who hear it, receive it with joy, but they have little root. And because they have very little root, at some point the cares and worries, the sins and temptations, the struggles of this life choke that joy out, choke that truth out, and that person bears no fruit. And so think about this. There there is a truth that we believe, but it's also a truth that we act out. Belief and behavior are almost always connected, and for a lot of people, we've done well at some point, but then things start to get choked out. We start to drift away. And I I want us to be really sober-minded about this. This is one of those sermons, you know, a lot of times we, we preach a sermon from the Scripture and it's, there's an obvious application to all of us individually. Today, we're, 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 in some sense, we're talking about people outside of us. Or we're talking about, think about people outside of you, not just how this applies to you, right? But if we're not sober-minded about this, we'll begin to think only of other people. And I'll begin to believe that something like this could never happen to me. And that's frankly arrogant and wrong. There's not a person in this room, no matter how faithful you are, no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, no one is immune from what James is talking about. Any one of us can wander and go astray from Christ. 
And if you think that you can't, that, that could never happen to me, I want you to consider, from the Scripture, a guy that we know named Peter. Y'all, Peter outshines all of us. I would not hold my credentials up to Peter, okay, ever. And yet, this is a man, we know the story well, he denied Jesus Christ. Three times he denied him after swearing that he wouldn't. Jesus told him he would. He was on the ready. He knew that the potential for it was coming, and he still failed the test. This is a man who walked with Jesus face to face. He said, well, yeah, but he learned his lesson. You know what? He did. But even years later, after Peter learned his lesson, he failed another significant test. He wandered from the truth again. You can read about it in Galatians 2 when Paul had to call him out for his sin. Peter wasn't above this, okay? And neither are you, and neither am I. Let's not become arrogant and think that somehow this could never apply to us, okay? If you have not wandered from the truth, praise God for that grace, because that's what it is. It's grace. Grace keeps us faithful, okay? That's not something that we think, um, look what I've done. That's look what God has done in me, and thank the Lord that he's kept me. Um. So when someone goes astray, James instructs us, and this is, I mean, it's almost too simple. <laughs> it just seems like common sense, right? Someone go turn him back, right? If a, if a Christian wanders from the truth, somebody come and grab him and turn him back, right? Maybe a group of people go and turn him back, right? Doesn't that seem obvious? But that's, that's exactly the application here. Now, what are you bringing a person back into? Um, we'll talk in a minute what it means to bring them back. How do you bring them back? Um, but what are we bringing them back into? Well, the implication from the text is we're bringing them back to the truth of the gospel. That, that's the thing they've gone astray from. So you, bring, you turn them back to the truth of the gospel, right? But also to the fellowship of the church. And again, that should be common sense, but that might be something that we don't consider. We, if, if in my mind somebody's wandered off and they've done something perhaps that's off limits, they, you know, they're, they're engaged in a sin that, that uh, they ought not to be engaged in, well, man, I'm not going to bring them back into church. You know, I want them to know Jesus. I want them to, you know, to stop the sin, but I'm not going to bring them back into church because you know, we'll just judge them. And that's what James wants to protect us against right here, that we're bringing them back not just to the truth, but into loving fellowship, not into judgment, but into grace. We're not bringing a person back who has been wandering, and we're bringing them back before a firing squad. We're bringing them back with an iron fist to teach them a lesson. No, what James is talking about is restoration, not just to the truth of God's grace, but to the fellowship of God's people. Uh, now, the Apostle Paul gives us a great word on this. In Galatians uh, 6, Paul really addresses the exact same issue that James is talking about. Galatians 6.1. Paul says, If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You see, with humility, not with arrogance, this could happen to me. But do it in a way that's gentle. Restore them with gentleness. Y'all see, the, the emphasis here is not shame and judgment. The idea being that I'm going to go and, and restore this person by telling them how awful they are, right? And shaming them into repentance. No. Now, you, we may have to have some tough love involved in, in this whole process. That may be the case according to the relationship. But the idea here is that we're pleading for this person to return to the grace of Jesus and to be restored. And so we, sh we do it in gentleness. We try to show them the grace 
and the truth that would lead them to repentance. Um, you know, this is, this is an act of love. This is not an act of, of judgment. We are the family of God, right? And we restore as a family. Um, but I want you to see what James... James has... He, there's more at stake for us than just fellowship. Uh, or, or just restoration in the, in the short term, or the you know, kind of tangible restoration. Look again at verse 20. Let him know, the person who turns a sinner back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Two things jump out at me right there. One is the seriousness of this situation. In case we're thinking that this is not all that serious, this, this is you know, just a you know, see somebody wandering, no big deal, right? No, James says this is deadly serious. A person's very soul is at stake in all of this. And what James is indicating to us is that this person, whoever they are, they're at risk of falling away from God altogether. They're not just deviating slightly. They're at risk of falling away entirely. When James says a person is straying from the truth, what he means is this person is straying from God himself. They're walking a path of spiritual death. And therefore, it's a serious issue. Jesus said there are two paths, right? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said there is a path that is narrow, a gate that is narrow. Few enter by it, but that is the way of life. He said, on the other hand, there's a very broad path with a very wide gate. Many are walking on it, but its end is destruction. Its end is the way of death. And so for us to recognize what James is saying is, this person is is at serious risk here. This is not just a, a, a small issue. Uh, this is not patty cake for us as Christians. This is serious. This is life and death. But then secondly, look at the potential for rescue. Look at the good news. He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We need to know this right here, that there is, there's not a single person who's so far gone that God cannot save and restore. There's nobody in your life who's a lost cause to God. Nobody's wandered so far away that God can't, re- can't, can't bring them back. And nobody, listen, nobody only gets partially restored. The, the idea here is not that this person has wandered away and maybe we'll bring them back on a probationary basis. And we'll see how they do. And then we'll decide how, how we're really going to treat them, if we're going to love them and and, and call them a brother or sister again. We're not bringing somebody back to put them on the junior varsity, right? And you can earn your way back now from there. No, God restores. God reconciles fully. In the story of the prodigal son, the son comes back, and he's not given probation. He's thrown a feast because he was dead, but now he's alive again. That's the nature and the heart of God. There's always restoration free and full, because of the grace of Jesus. Now, I I mentioned this a minute ago, that this is one of the reasons God gives us the church. It's for this purpose, that we would help each other endure, that we would point each other to Christ. And so do you notice what James James is actually saying in verse 20? It's actually um, hugely controversial. 
It may not seem that way on the, on the surface, but look again at what he actually says. The one who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Who is doing the saving in that verse? Who is the one covering the sin in that verse? Grammatically, it's one of us. It's the person who turns the sinner back, right? Now, we know better. We, we, I can't save anybody's soul, right? You can't, you can't cover anybody's sins, not really and ultimately, right? Only God can do that. Only God can save a person and cover their sins, right? Yes, and James knows that. This isn't heresy. But James is, I think he's using language like this on purpose to show us just how important we are to the purpose of God. That we get to play an essential uh, role in each other's walk. To the point that if a person is saved, they've got not just God to think, but they've got people to think as well. Because God uses all of us as instruments for the purpose of his greater uh, kingdom work. Y'all, there's, there's a great parallel to this in, in Hebrews 3. Um, in Hebrews 3, the, the author of Hebrews goes to great lengths throughout to, to call us to faithfulness and to call the church to faithfulness. He's doing what James is doing. Listen to what he says in, in Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. What... what the author of Hebrews does, first, he addresses the individual. Hey, you, hey, Kyle, be careful that you don't have in you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from God. Don't find yourself drifting and walking the path of destruction. But then, after addressing the individual, he addresses the church. And frankly, he puts more emphasis on the church. He says, but, here's the antidote. He says, but, encourage one another every single day as long as it's still called today, which is a signal of urgency, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Urgently, consistently, joyfully, we're called to point each other to Jesus. That's what encouragement means. Keep on going. Look to Christ. Encouragement in the gospel. That's our job one to another, so that nobody will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Can you just acknowledge in your own life times where that has been the case, where you personally, not somebody else, where you have found yourself deceived, walking a path that was not honoring to God, and the longer you walked that path, the harder your heart became. We've all been there. We've all been there. Some of us may be there now. That's what sin does. Sin deceives. Sin hardens the heart, and ultimately, sin destroys. And therefore, in the scripture, we're being told that faithful endurance is not just an individual exercise. It is your individual responsibility to love, honor, pursue, and worship Jesus. Yes, it is. But not only, not purely. This is a community project. 
God is the one who saves us, yes. All glory to God. But didn't God bring a person into your life to share that gospel with you? Didn't God use a person or maybe many people as instruments for the sake of your salvation? Of course he did. God is the one who ultimately keeps us by his grace and faithfulness so that we might endure. But once again, God uses people as instruments to that end. That God's eternal spiritual purposes are always applied to us tangibly in real life. And often, he gives us people for that purpose. Right? That's what we're being told right here. And so, y'all, we, you cannot look at a fellow Christian who is going astray from God and say, well, that's just none of my business. And so often I think that's our natural response. That's not my business. I don't, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't, want to, I don't want to appear to be judgmental. I don't want to look like a hypocrite. Lord knows the things I've done in my past. I don't want to get involved in their mess. That's not my place. But y'all, James says, Paul says, Hebrew says, Jesus says, the stakes are too high for us to say this is none of my business. The stakes are too high. A person's very soul is at stake. We can't just shrug our shoulders. God says he wants us to treat each other the way he has treated us, right? Y'all remember the the parable of the lost sheep? This is a very famous story from Luke 15. Jesus gave a series of parables to show people what the heart of God is like. And Jesus says that there's a shepherd. He says, imagine as a shepherd that you've got a hundred sheep and one goes astray. Would you not leave the 99 there in the open pasture to go and search for the one? And then having found it, you would pick it up in your arms and throw it over your shoulders and come home. And he says you'd throw a party, inviting all your friends, saying, Rejoice with me, for my lost sheep has now been found. Then Jesus concludes by saying, There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who need no repentance. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sheep, one lost person who's brought back, right? We sang that, that I was a wandering sheep, wandering from the fold of God. Jesus sought me when a stranger, right? Come thou found. That that's how we became Christians. Y'all, the only reason you're in this room right now, the only reason I'm standing here right now, is that God in his love sought us out and saved us. We have no merit that we bring to the table here. We have nothing we've deserved except condemnation. Jesus Christ came to the lost sheep. Jesus Christ came and saved us. We are trophies of grace. Every last one of us. And this, this, this ought to give us compassion when we talk about those who wander and go astray. Y'all, if, if, if Harvest Church were just a gathering of the moral elite then uh, if somebody was going astray, we'd actually be glad about it because they're, they're, they're holding us down. Right? They're poisoning the well. Let them go. But see, that's not what the church is. The church is made up of people who can't cut it, who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that, that, for that reason, when someone goes astray, 
We have compassion because we know what it is to be lost. This is not a foreign idea to us. We've been given the grace of God. Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross to make us new. And so all that we are, we are entirely by grace and mercy. And therefore, that's the heartbeat of the church. When someone goes astray, we don't gossip about them and what they're doing. We don't say good riddance because they were bringing us down. No, James says, Jesus says, Paul says, Hebrews, I mean, all throughout the scripture, go get them because they're one of us. They need the same grace that we ourselves need. They just need it right now in a unique way. So I want to close. We've we've talked about what it is and why it is. How do you do it? How do you do it? Y'all, if you know a person who's wandering, then then the uniqueness of that relationship is a gift and a blessing, and I'm not going to propose to know how that's supposed to work for you. I'm not going to impede on that, okay? But I can give us a, a format, a template, in the Scripture that shows us how we do it, what role we play, and what role, ultimately, that God plays. This is 2 Timothy 2. I quoted from there a minute ago, but Paul is speaking to Timothy about what it looks like to turn someone back to Christ. And listen to this. He's going to give us an attitude, and he's also going to give us a promise. Okay? Verse 24, the Lord's bondservant, that's you, must not be quarrelsome. You're not going to go beat somebody up and bring them back to Christ. But be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Oh, there's so much in this verse. I wanna, I'll spend a whole sermon on this, on this scripture at some point. Um, but just real quickly, let's break this down. What is your responsibility? Someone is wandering. What's your responsibility? Paul says, kindness, patience, gentleness. Not an iron fist, right? But you reflect the grace of Jesus, right? But also truth. Now, here's the deal. Paul is not saying just be nice to them. Don't pacify them where they are. Give them also the truth, right? So that they might be restored to Jesus Christ. Your goal is not to be nice so that they'll like you. Your goal is that they would return to Jesus. And so that requires both grace and truth. The gospel has to be primary in that, right? But then notice what Paul moves away from us. He gives us a very hearty... uh, Um, admonition here. Don't be the kind of person who quarrels your way through a relationship, but reflect the grace of Jesus Christ and share the truth of Jesus Christ, right? But then at the end of the day, what has to happen? Only God can grant that person repentance that leads them to the knowledge of the truth. Only God can do that. And that should take a tremendous weight off of our shoulders. We have a role to play, an essential role, we're told, but not an ultimate one. Only God can do this, because the real battle here is not just what we see. The real battle is a spiritual one. Paul says, Satan is at work to ensnare and to deceive. God alone can save and restore. We put all of our chips in God's 
place all of our eggs in his basket. Only God can do this. And so when we've done all that we can do, we pray that God would do the ultimate thing to bring this person back to their senses and restore them in his grace. Y'all, I I mentioned earlier how we can't be arrogant to say this could happen to other people. Sure, this couldn't happen to me. What Paul says Satan is always doing is something Peter said Satan is always doing. When Peter talked about Satan, he said, be on your guard because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In that sense, Satan doesn't care who it is as long as it's someone that he can get his teeth into. Right? That's, listen, that's happening at Harvest Church right now. Will Satan be successful? Let's pray that he will not. Let's ask God for his grace and strength to overcome. But let's not be ignorant to the fact that we have an adversary, an enemy, who is seeking to do exactly that right now. And if he gets his teeth into someone, he can hold them captive. And in that case, their only hope is that God would bring them to repentance. And God's plan A for that is, guess what? Maybe he'll come to them in a dream. Maybe. Not likely. He's going to send one of us to go get them. Right? In love. So, I, y'all, I, I want to... Usually we, we end a sermon with prayer and I pray over us. What I want to do today, I want to just... I'm going to guide us in prayer. Because here's my guess. Um, most of us have a person in mind as I'm speaking. You know somebody... Uh, within your own family or a friend or someone at work or someone within the church that is, that is wandering right now. And this is not academic for us. This is personal. Uh, this is heartbreaking. And so I'm, I want to guide us in prayer. Um, if you have someone in mind, somebody that you love, somebody that you hope and desire to see return to the Lord, then I want to encourage us that it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer Um, And so as I guide us, I want to just give us some space here. I want want to encourage us in this, that you would take a posture of prayer. You can close your eyes, but you don't have to. Um, But that you would take a posture of prayer right where you are. And that we would ask God on their behalf, whoever this man or woman is, whoever this child is, um, that we would ask God on their behalf uh, to do the work that ultimately only God can do. And to pray also that he would use us as instruments to do it. So right where you sit, picture someone. I've got someone in in my own mind right now. Picture someone that that you know this this is who James is talking about. Someone going astray from the truth. And consider how much you love this person. But consider also right now that God loves that person far more. Would you thank the Lord in prayer that He loves this man or this woman more than you do? That God has not lost His concern for them? That God is not somewhere far away, unconcerned? But that He cares about His erring child? And as we thank the Lord for His love, Would you also pray that that love would be made clear to this person's heart? 
Perhaps the love of God has grown cold to them or feels very distant. Pray that their heart would be warmed, that they would know the love of God in a fresh way. Now, would you ask the Lord for urgency in your own heart concerning this person? Perhaps this, this person's been drifting, wandering, straying for a while, and it's just become normal. Pray for a renewed sense of urgency. Ask the Lord for courage. And ask the Lord for opportunity. Ask the Lord for a gentle and gracious heart and for truthful words to speak. And now would we all together ask God to do the work that only He can do. Let's be reminded we cannot bring a person to repentance. We cannot change a person's heart or save a person's soul. We play a role God has given us, but would you ask the Lord to do what is reserved only for Him, to rescue, to redeem, to restore Father, thank you that you've given us each other. And I pray, Lord, that we don't take this this precious truth today for granted. That we are here for a greater purpose than simply worshiping together an hour a week. Wonderful and necessary as this is, we are here for the sake of one another's soul. We're meant to play a part in seeing each other through to the end. And so, Father, give us this mentality. We're we're only as strong as our weakest member. We're only as fast as our slowest. It's not just our individual race that we're running, Lord. It's all of us together. And so give us, Lord, urgency. Give us Give us grace, give us gentleness, give us truth as we consider how to to spur one another on and pursue and love those, Lord, who've gone astray. Lord, let this break our hearts that we might be moved to act and remind us, Father, of the precious grace that we've been given. We are only here now because we, like sheep, We're lost, wandering from the fold of God. And you and your love sought us out and saved us. Give us a heart that reflects that as we consider our own brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you and praise you and ask, Lord, for restoration today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.